Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're working our way through this book of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll read there in a moment, beginning with verse 11. Uh, the membership classes today, if you want to join our church, that's how you do it. Or if you just want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. I teach that class from 4 till 6 today. And um, even if you've not signed up, you're welcome to come. It's on the Seven Hills side, room 154, if you know that. We'll have some signs up if you don't know, but basically Seven Hills side, that Seven Hills entrance is an easy one for you to come through, and uh, 4 o'clock till 6. And then next uh, Sunday is um, Palm Sunday, Sorry. and we'll take communion together on Palm Sunday. It's a special time, and then Easter Sunday the week after that, and I'm praying God will use that in great ways in our lives. Well, let's open our Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read there about building up. Every, every once in a while you see a video or, or something, I saw this when it happened at the old Bush Stadium, where they'll demolish some big building, and maybe they put a bunch of electrical charges and things around, and then they blow up a building. It's amazing. And a building that took years to build can be just taken down in moments. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to tear down than to build up. And that's true emotionally and spiritually as well, isn't it? A lot easier to tear down. I mean, I sometimes feel like that's such a big part of our society now, just tear down, tear down. And God talks to us about building up. You're going to see that in this, in this passage. And Paul's been talking to the church at Corinth. Remember, he's talking to us. God, the Holy Spirit, gives us these words for a reason, and it's to build us up. Paul talks about the purpose to build up the church of Corinth, and, but it's so easy to tear down. And so let's read this together. We're going to start with verse 11 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Paul's been talking about the uh, so-called super apostles that have been talking about their great credentials. And Paul, so let's pick it up in verse 11. Paul says, I've been a fool. You forced it on me. You ought to have commended me since I am not in any way inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of an apostle were performed with unfailing endurance among you, including signs and wonders and miracles. So in what way are you worse off than the other churches, except that I personally did not burden you? Forgive me for this wrong. Look, I'm ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you since I'm not seeking what is yours, but you. For children ought not to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Now, granted, I did not burden you, yet sly as I am, I took you in by deceit. Did I take advantage of you by any of those I sent, I sent you? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus didn't take advantage of you, did he? Didn't we walk in the same spirit and in the same footsteps? Have you been thinking all along that we were defending ourselves to you? No, in the sight of God, we are speaking in Christ and everything. Listen, don't miss this. And everything, dear friends, is for building you up. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I will not find you to be what I want, and you may not find me to be what you want. Perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, angry outbursts, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I fear that when I come, my God will again humiliate me in your presence, and I will grieve for many who sinned before and have not repented of the moral impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality they practiced. Well, let's talk about building up. Here's the principle I want you to note. God wants to use you to build up others in faith. God wants to use you to build others up in faith. And we're going to talk this morning about seven ways to build others up. Seven ways we build others up 
And if you know Christ the Savior, one of the reasons God has you in this world, one of your purposes is to build others up. Just as Paul had the purpose of building up Christians, helping them to mature in their faith and put down some deep, deep spiritual roots and build on a solid foundation and build the kind of life God had for them, God has you here for a reason. And he wants you to be built up personally, but he wants you to help build others up. And God uses people like us to accomplish his purposes. Let's note seven ways we build others up. And you can write these seven things down. All right, you ready to go? Number one, we build others up by sacrificing, by sacrificing. Paul says in uh, verse 11, he talks about the super apostles and how uh, Paul sort of feels like they're forcing him to give his credentials to sound like he's bragging. And in verse 12, even though he says in verse, end of verse 11, even though I am nothing, i just note that for you, Paul. This is the apostle Paul an, an apostle used by God, much of the New Testament written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit by Paul. He said, I'm nothing. He's, like, he's sort of like John the Baptist here. John, John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And Paul said, listen, it's not about me. You know, I'm nothing. He talked about how God used him, how God performed miracles. God used him, but God did it. And then he said in verse 13, so in what way are you worse off than the other churches except that I personally did not burden you? Now he's saying here, you may remember earlier in the book, this book of the Bible, he talked about this. He said, I didn't take any money from you. Other churches, as I taught and preached for them, they supported me so that I could give myself to preaching and prayer. And he said, I didn't do that with you. And other churches supported me so that I could do that with you. And he said, listen, I just, all I did for you was sacrifice. I just sacrificed for you. And I just can I just point out to you, the way of Christ is to sacrifice. And God calls us to sacrifice. We don't scratch that out of the Bible. He calls us to sacrifice. We think of others and not ourselves. We serve instead of being served. We give instead of getting. Many of the greatest things you have in life came because someone sacrificed for you. Maybe you had parents who loved you deeply and they sacrificed for you, and they thought of you and not themselves. Some of you had parents like that, or grandparents who thought of you, sacrificed for you. Our country, the freedoms that we enjoy, or sometimes just ignore, take for granted, came because people sacrificed for us. Everything in our, in our, ch our church building came because people before us sacrificed for us. Our programs, our ministries happened because people sacrificed for us. People who we didn't even know, people who thought of us when we didn't even know who they were. They didn't know who we were, and they sacrificed for us. And God calls us to sacrifice. And can I just say to any of you who are maybe less than younger, and you younger ones listen in, but if you're less than younger, listen, we ought to sacrifice for the next generation. I mean, we ought to do that willingly and gladly and purposefully because we care about people who aren't here yet. And we, we those of us who know Christ as Savior, ought to be thinking about more than just ourselves or what we like or want or get. We ought to be sacrificing for the next generation. We ought to care about those who are coming behind us, even though, even though we might not know all of them and it may not directly affect us. We ought to care about them. And we ought to sacrifice. And Paul said, listen, church, I, you may remember that I just chose to sacrifice on your behalf and other churches supported me and I didn't take anything from you. All I did, I didn't get, I just gave. And there's a power to that. I want you to be, I want us to have church, I want us to have that spirit, that attitude that says we're not in it for us, and we're not just thinking about, about what we can get, but we want, to, we want to think of others, we want to think of people beyond ourselves, and we build others up by that sacrifice. There's a power to it, there's an example set by it, and Paul 
sacrifice so that the church of Corinth could be built up. Maybe God has placed you where you are so that you can sacrifice for people coming behind you. There's a second principle I want us to note. We build others up by personalizing, by personalizing. Now, verse 14, in verse 14, Paul says this. He said, uh, I'm ready to come to you this third time. He's already been twice to Corinth and he's coming back. He said, I will not burden you since I'm not seeking what is yours, but, look, notice that in the text. I'm not seeking what is yours, but, what's it say? You. I'm not seeking what is yours. I'm not seeking the things you have, but you. Now, what, what is it that God wants? What is it God wants? Can I just tell you? It's you. It's not your money. It's not your money. It's you. It's not your talents. It's you. It's not your time, not your Sunday morning. God wants you. Now, if, when God has you, he has your time and treasure and talents, of course. But God wants you. And so God's not saying, hey, listen, I, I'm kind of short on cash and I need some help. No, it's not, I'm, I don't have enough talent. You know, I need your help. That's not it. God wants you. God wants you. And Paul said to the church at Corinth, what I'm after is not the things you have or what you can do or give or accomplish. I want you, God, because God cares about you. Can I just tell you, you are personal to God. He describes it like a parent who thinks of the child, not the child thinking of the parent. And he's saying, I, I, want, I want to personalize it like that. God in heaven loves you. If you go to prison someday, some of you, maybe that'll be, I don't know, maybe that you're, you've got long-range goals. Maybe prison is one of the long-range goals you have. I don't know. Someday, maybe. You and you make it there. You know, you meet your goal, goal-oriented guy, and you make it. And you get a, like a new suit, and it's got a, na- a number on it, maybe. I don't know if they still do that. I'm not really, haven't been... I'm not sure. But if they do and they have a number, you could, you could, maybe people could just know you by the number. Is that how God does it? Like you're just one of the, you're a number, you're just a, no, of all the people in all the world, all the, all the millions of people, God cares about you personally. He knows everything there is to know about you. Everything. The things you don't Know about yourself, the things you hide from everyone else. God knows all of that. And you matter to him. Christ died on the cross for you. It's very personal to the Lord. Very personal. And so he's saying, listen, if you want to build others up, it's, it's got to be personal. You've got to have some connections. One of the reasons we emphasize small groups in our church, I and mean, we love it that you worship corporately. Of course, that's a big part of our um, of our growth spiritually, but God puts us together in smaller groups where we get to know each other and connect with each other and kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, we do it together because there's a power to that. God personalizes faith. There's something about that in our spiritual growth. God often uses people in our lives to help us to grow. And I just remind you, God wants you. Principle number three, we build others up by loving by loving. Go with me, please, to verse 15. Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Paul's saying, man, I'll spend and be spent for you. I'll sacrifice. Why would I do these things? Why would I sacrifice? Why would I go through the difficulties? Why would I be in prison for my faith? And Paul, by the way, was a prisoner because of his faith. Why? Because of love. Because love willingly gives. You ought to just note that. Love willingly gives. 
Love thinks of others. Sometime when you're reading through the New Testament on your own, and I encourage you to read the New Testament for yourself, it's very doable. I always say it's only if you read two chapters a day in the New Testament, two chapters a day, five days a week, you've read the whole New Testament in half a year. It's that doable. So if you if you're reading along in the New Testament, you're going to come to this to the book of First Corinthians. We're in, we're finishing Second Corinthians now, and in First Corinthians, you come to chapter 13, and it's really just a long definition of love. And I'll just tell you, it's not how the world defines love. It's not how the, it's not like just feelings or something like a pit you fall in and you can't get out. You try. It's about choices, about decisions, about giving, about thinking of others and not yourself. That's what love's about. And love just gives. It's not about getting. The Lord demonstrates his love for us on the cross. What he did for us. It's the demonstration. It's the evidence of his love. And God calls us to love like that. To give, to love, to spend and be spent for others. And notice as well that love makes us vulnerable. It makes us vulnerable. Part of the reason Paul struggled with the church at Corinth part of why he'll talk about grief later is because he loves the church and love makes you vulnerable it's one of the reasons people sometimes struggle to love because and if you know if you love someone can just if you just give that heart and you just get stomped on and some of you have had your heart stomped on and so you said man I didn't like that and so I'm just gonna keep I'm not gonna love but God just says, man, listen, just love. Be vulnerable. Do you think the Lord knows anything about loving and not having people respond like they ought to? Do you think the Lord has any uh, experience with that? And so he says, love, man. I'm, can I just urge you to just choose to love people. Choose to love them. They don't always love back right. And they're going to be imperfect, sort of like you. But choose to love. And in our church, we're just going to say, we're going to love people. All the messes that they bring, all the messes that we have, we're just going to choose to love. And we build, we build others up by loving them. We love them when they do right or wrong, when, we go, when they are doing the right things or the wrong things, just choosing to love them. And there's a power to that. It's a, par, it's a process of building up. Listen, it's easy to tear down, but building up takes some effort. And love makes you vulnerable, but it means I'm willing to give and I'm willing to pour into others and care about them. I want to urge you to love principle number four. We build others up by providing. In verse 16, 17, and 18, Paul talks about uh, how he sent to them um, people. He says in verse 18, I urged Titus to go, this man named Titus. I sent the brother with him, this unnamed other guy. And God provided for the church of Corinth by people. And God often provides for our growth through other uh, people. God often does that. Like I, now listen, I love books. I'm a book guy. I have way, I have so many books. I have just books all over my office. I have books at my home. I, I, can't, I just have to stack them up now. I, I love books. And God, of course, has given us a great book to teach us. And he could have just said, listen, just, Paul could have just said, just read the book, you know, just read it. And I do want you to read it's a, great, it's a great gift to read. And reading the Bible for yourself, what a great privilege this is. Like You don't have to just take my word for it. You can read what the Bible says. You can see what God says from his word. But very often, God teaches us through people. I mean, we 
see God's Word. We, we can read God's Word for ourselves, but we can see the practical evidence of God's Word, the practical working out of God's Word through people. So someone in our life like Titus, or it might be someone like the unnamed guy. We don't even get that guy's name. So like in heaven, maybe you get to meet the unnamed guy. You know, the other guy, is it, are you Titus or the other guy? No, I'm the other guy. You know, I'm sorry, I didn't get my name in it even. Well, some of you have guys who have poured into your life like a Titus, and they just cared about you, and you can see the great things they did for you, and maybe some guy, you don't even know their name, and they were behind the scenes caring about you and teaching you. When I was a, I did, I came to know Christ as Savior when I was younger, but when I was a senior in high school, my first year of college, I really grew in my faith then. I really began to follow the Lord more seriously, and I'm so thankful for God's Word. I began to read God's Word some on my own, but I had people in my life God sent people into my life who provided for me. You know, people like Titus or the unnamed guy. Some of them were peers. It was, I had not really met very many teenagers who were following the Lord until that time. Man, it was powerful for me to have peers who were following the Lord or my, my youth pastor or pastor's friends. God just used people in my life. Maybe, that, maybe God wants to do that through you. Did you ever think of that? Maybe God has placed you to be a Titus or maybe the unnamed guy. And that's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be the person in their life that helps them to see what the Bible is about, to help them to understand what God is saying. And God has put you in that job or God has placed you in that school or God has put you in that family or in that neighborhood because he wants you to be the provision that he is making for other people to see the message of the gospel lived out. And maybe God put you there to build them up. And you'll be the provision that God makes. Principle number five. Principle number five. I started to say seven and you got so like excited. It was, all, it was almost over. Principle number five. We build others up by prioritizing. By prioritizing. Prioritizing. Go with me, please, to verse 19. Um, Paul says, Have we been thinking all along that we're defending ourselves to you? No, in the sight of God, we're speaking in Christ. And everything, I love that, everything, not just some, everything. Dear friends, he personalizes it. I care about you. Everything, dear friends, is for building you up. Everything, dear friends, is for building you up. And that's prioritizing. Paul's saying, everything I do, I'm doing to help build you up, to help you get a stronger foundation and a, and a greater opportunity of following the Lord and being the person God wants you to be, everything. I have a relative who's uh, building a house right now, and he's trying to get it on the market quickly because, you know, it's, he lives in another state. The market's really strong. He wants to, so, man, he is prioritizing that every spare minute. He's doing something. He's calling the contractors, you know, over and over because they're busy too, and they don't show up unless somebody bothers them enough. It's just every priority. It's the priority. He's trying to get it done. What if the priority for us is something more than just ourselves? What if it's more than just our whatever, job or hobby? What if God placed us here to help people become disciples of Jesus. And we made that a priority in life. I'm going to help people follow Jesus. I'm going to help them to learn what God says, what God wants, what it means to live the Christian life, what God wants to do in us and through us and with us. And there's a power to priority. It talks about urgency. 
It teaches us about focus. It shows us purpose. I want to ask you in your life group to really prioritize building each other up, to prioritize making disciples in your personal life. See that as a priority in your family. Principle number six, we build others up by correcting. Now, you might not have seen this one coming because uh, in the world's view, you just say love, and that means you just whatever, whatever you want to do. But God talks often in his word about correction. Let's go to verse 20. Paul says, I fear that perhaps when I come, I will not find you to be what I want. You may not find me to be what you want. Paul's saying, I may have to, maybe you're not doing the right things, and I'm going to have to correct you. And he talks here specifically in verse 20. Perhaps there will be quarreling. This sounds like today. Perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, angry outbursts, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I mean, really, it sounds like today. And Paul's saying, one of the ways I'm going to build you up is to correct you when you're wrong. That's one of the ways I'm going to build you up, to correct you when you're wrong. So culture tends to conform us. God corrects us. The culture says, you're supposed to be like this. And the Bible says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, we need to be corrected by God. Sometimes God, because he loves us, corrects us. My parents, um, they, they, like, they took this seriously, and they would discipline me. And I never really liked it. I didn't understand it even very often. Like, I could understand why they would discipline my brothers. My brothers deserved every bit of discipline they got, and really, can I just say, a lot more. They're going to be here this summer, and when you meet them, you'll just say, yeah, they, they obviously did not get disciplined nearly enough. But, man, my parents would discipline me. And did you know something? They did that because they loved me. Because they loved me. So they believed that love meant they should correct things in my life that were wrong. So that's what God says. God disciplines those he, do you know what that says? God disciplines those he loves. Loves those he loves. God disciplines those he loves. And out of his love, he, he doesn't just say, listen, because I love you, whatever, whatever. No, he says, I want to correct things. There were some angry outbursts and, man, selfish ambitions and quarreling and jealousy and slander and gossip. Man, you can't. You, you're not, this is not the right thing, and I'm going to correct this. I'm going to help you to see that God, out of his love, is going to discipline you when you're involved in those things because of the pain and the problem that comes with sin. That's what God does out of his love for us. He corrects us. And I'll just tell you, God, some of you feel the correction of God in your life now, and you, like, maybe you don't like it very much. You know, I didn't like my parents correcting me and disciplining me, but I needed it. I mean, not as much as my brothers needed it, but I needed it, right? I needed it. And maybe you don't like much the correction of God. You'd like God to just leave you alone, but you need it. And so God, because he cares about you, will convict you of sin and point out things that are wrong and correct you. One of the purposes of the Bible is to correct us because we are always being conformed in, by this world. It's always pushing its thumb against us and conforming us. And God says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so God corrects us when we're wrong. Principle number seven, we build others up by grieving. Now, you probably didn't see this one coming at all, by grieving. So here's what the Bible says in Verse 21, 
I fear that when I come, my God will again humiliate me in your presence. That is, God's going to have to use me to do things I don't want to have to do. And I will grieve for the many who sinned before and have not repented of the moral impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality they practiced. So Paul talks here about being grieved by sin. Now we tend to either celebrate or we grieve. So if you're watching the basketball tournament going on now, there's a team that will win and they will celebrate and there's a team that will lose and they will grieve. And in our world, if I could speak frankly for a moment, in our world, um, our world especially about these issues, moral impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality, our world tends to celebrate those things because they see it as a win. Do whatever you feel like, whatever your, we might say, do what your heart feels, what you feel like, what you think, what you want, what the culture says, what you, and we celebrate that as a culture because we think that's a win. But the Bible tells us God grieves over sin. You can grieve the Holy Spirit who lives in you when you trust Christ as Savior in sin. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, there's something worse for me than the discipline that came from my parents, and that was the grief that I caused. And I'd see, like, even my grandma, my sweet grandma, when I do wrong, I just see the pain in her eyes, and I, that was worse than the discipline. God, the Holy Spirit, is grieved by sin. He doesn't celebrate sin because that would be if he saw it as a win, but he's, he recognizes that sin is a loss, and he grieves. Because, it's, to me, just be frank, our world thinks that sin is a win. And so we, in politics and in television programming, we promote immorality. But God recognizes, God tells us the truth, this is a loss. And the goal of the enemy is not your pleasure and joy and happiness. It is to kill and steal and destroy. And so God, because he loves you, will tell you the truth about things that you might not especially want to hear because we don't always want to follow the Lord in our own flesh and blood, do we? And we can grieve the Holy Spirit when we go wrong. But because God loves you, he tells you the truth. And he says, I've got something so much better for you. You know, you don't hear that much in the world, do you? You just don't hear that much in the world. Celebrate, it's a great win. And God says, grieve. It's a terrible loss because I have something so much better for you than the world. So much better for you than the world. And we say these things because we build up. The goal of the Lord isn't to tear us down by telling about sin. It is to build us up. In fact, did you notice the Bible says um, at the end of verse 21, I grieve for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the moral impurity so God's calling us to repentance. That's, what, that's how he wants us to deal with sin, always, to repent. Repentance is where we turn from wrong and turn to the right. We turn from sin and we turn to God. And the church at Corinth was filled with people who had sinned. May I say, just like the church at O'Fallon or any church for that matter, we're all sinful people who have fallen short. We've all done wrong. We all bring to this place all the junk of our past, except when we trust Christ as Savior, the Bible says the blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay the debt of our sin. And Christ died in our place so that if we trust Christ as Savior, we can be fully forgiven and set free. When we repent of sin, God forgives our sin. 
So if you are here and you've never yet trusted Christ as Savior, we want to call you to repent of sin and turn to the Lord, to place your faith in Christ who died for you and rose from the grave for you, and to receive him as Savior. And he can forgive every sin. That's what he does. And every one of us here has needed that. And I'm thankful for God who is able to forgive. And if you're involved in immorality of any sort right now and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, you might not like it that much that he's convicting you, but he does that out of his love. And so I want to ask you to repent and turn from sin and turn to God, to God's better way, God's better plan, and God's better path. And if you will do that, God uses these things in our lives to build us up, and he uses this in our lives to help us to build others up. God made you for a purpose. God saved you, if you're saved, for a purpose, to build up. The world can tear down in a second, but it takes so much longer, to build, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And God wants to use you to build others up in faith. Let's pray together. And as we bow, if you're here and you need Christ as Savior, maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you're a sinner who needs to be saved right where you sit today, where you're hearing this message right now. Would you trust Christ as Savior, repent of your sins, and place your faith in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you and receive him as Savior? And Christ can save you. Christ can save you. Christian, would you say, God, I want to be used to build others up. Would you build me up, help me to grow stronger in my faith, and would you help me to build others up? Would you help me to build others up? Would you help me to see my role in life as something more than just me and what I get, but help me to think of others and give instead of just getting and to sacrifice for the cause of Christ and to think of how I can help and to love so deeply that I'm willing to correct and grieve, to prioritize building others up. Lord, make that the call of my heart. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth you teach us. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for putting people in our lives who help build us up. And I pray, Lord, we will be that for others, that we will build others up in Christ. In a world that is always tearing down, would you help us to build up others in faith? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.